Good morning, I'm Tim Strange. This is a window into missionary life in University Hall, room 208. And uh, we are privileged to be with you today. And I see some great familiar faces and some new faces. And so today, I don't know what you came expecting, but uh, if you have questions while we're talking, jot them down. Or, if, or what did you expect to learn today? Um, anybody want to share what they might have expected to learn today? Crickets, crickets, crickets. Okay, yeah, go ahead. Just, just more of, of the everyday stuff that you have to do. Okay. Just uh, living life in a foreign country, uh, things maybe that we take for granted here okay. that might not be there or they do different there. We'll try to touch on some of those areas of what it's like overseas. We're going to talk really more about budgets today. Uh, itineration experiences and auxiliary ministries like Speed of Light, Life of the Lost, and um, Buddy Barrel, BGMC. And so, uh, but we'll try to touch on some of those today. All right. If not, please stop us in the hallway and say, "Hey, tell me about you know what what food is like there. Tell me what what everyday stuff happens in Costa Rica, and we'll be glad to share with you." Um, so, anybody else have any ideas or any, any comments what they're expecting to learn today? Be flexible. Be flexible. <laughs> That's uh, always good. Well, I went to the field 10 years ago as a missionary associate to El Salvador, and Tracy was just leaving El Salvador. And so it's neat to see old friends. Um, But I left El Salvador because God had called me to Costa Rica. If I never was obedient to God's call and leaving El Salvador to Costa Rica, he would never brought Nicole and I together. An act of obedience of obeying God's call to go to Costa Rica brought us together because we met at School of Missions in Springfield, Missouri at CBC. And that used to be known as Central Bible College or Bridal College, depending on who you were. And so um, it's good to be here with you guys. I'm going to let Nicole share some of our story. I went to the field in 2009 as a widow and as a single mom. My first husband and I had worked in ministry in New Jersey for many years. And um, ironically, my first husband's parents, they pastored in downtown Cleveland, just 20 minutes from Tim's parents, who were pastoring in Parma. And so... Our families knew each other, even though Tim and I never met until 2009. And so I was going to Honduras as a missionary associate when Tim was going to Costa Rica as an appointed missionary, and we met in um, training, as he said. And then the Lord kept crossing our paths here in the U.S. and overseas. And I do share with people quite often that when the Lord is determined to bring a blessing to you, he's more determined to get it to you than you are to receive it, because this was not on my radar. I was busy raising two young girls who were seven and nine when we went to the field and just following the call and itinerating and getting there. And as I served in Honduras, at times I would come back because just by the nature of the ministry, they would have me and the girls come back in the summers. And so that first summer back, I was at Tim. Well, first it was his dad's church, and now his brother's been pastoring it. I was there, and we crossed paths when I was itinerating, and I spoke there. And that's when I got to know him. And I just remember one night after I shared, and we were with a group of people that went out for dinner afterwards. Everybody else had gone home. And Tim and I are in the parking lot talking about missions, talking about reaching children overseas. And he was only $200 away and raising his monthly budget to get to Costa Rica. And I thought, oh, my gosh, only $200. I can help you. Give me your card. I'll start supporting you. And so I'm on my way back to Honduras, and he's getting to Costa Rica. And as I drove um, back to my in-law's house that night after talking with Tim for several hours, I thought, Lord, I'm really mad at you. This is not fair that you would let me meet somebody who is single, who has you know, a, 
appointed missionary with the Assemblies of God who has a passion to reach the lost and kids, and he's not anywhere near my age. So that's just wrong. Why would you even <laughs> let me meet him? And then I find out several months later, as we were at the same retreat on the field in Costa Rica, that we were the same age. <laughs> and that I was actually only like three months older than him. And so we got to know each other more. And then in 2012, after I left Honduras and I started itinerating to go to another country, now appointed on my own, um, the Lord just brought us together through um, like email and we would Skype. And then Tim came to the U.S. on a visa trip and to attend a conference on how to reach kids. And we started dating. And in 2012, my plans of itineration were divinely interrupted and redirected and just kind of blown out of the water. That's just the way Tim is. And, uh, <laughs> and we, got, we got engaged in May and married in August and attempted to itinerate together for a few months. And then the girls and I joined him in Costa Rica in 2013. And so here we are. I went to the field. I was 40. Tim was in his 30s. And I tell people, it's never too late to answer the call of God. Yes, you can begin life again in your 40s. You know, when the Lord calls, just say, yes, here I am, and he'll make a way because he opened doors divinely for both of us that we never believed possible. Well, so the greatest blessings you ever receive in life is when you just obey what God has for you Amen. and just obey the call. Yes. See, I was called when I was 17 years old on a missions trip in Venezuela on a soccer field, but it took 17 years. I was 34 years old before I responded to that call, before I said, yes, I'll obey and I'll go. And since then, my life has never been the same. And God called me to Costa Rica from El Salvador. And if I wasn't obedient to God and going to Costa Rica, I would never have met Nicole in missionary training in, in Springfield. And so God orders our steps. And if we'll just obey his steps, obey what he has for us, his blessings are just beyond far we can ever imagine. But trust in him and relax in his will and pursue it. And he'll direct your path. And so I just want you to just... As we discuss these things today and, and all these slides I've prepared, it could be kind of a lot of minutiae, a lot of numbers, but ask questions as we're, as we're talking and uh, feel free because there's a lot of, lot of minutiae, a lot of details that sometimes can be puzzling. But we're here to just talk with you guys and let you know what we're doing in missions and how uh, things happen on the back end for us. And so, uh, but it's a joy to be with you guys today. So, as you know, I'm pretty strange. But we're here today for you know, a behind-the-scenes glimpse of, of budgets, of itineration experiences, and just to talk about BGMC, Speed of Light, and Light for the Lost. And if you guys have any questions that we're talking, please ask them. Don't be afraid to. But missionary budgets consist of a couple things, monthly commitments and a cash budget. And so those are two, the two main components of a missionary budget. And so you guys, are what are monthly commitments? Well, really, AGWM takes a, a missionary who's going to Costa Rica, Honduras, wherever they're going, and they talk with the area director for that region, whether it be Europe or Asia, and they will say, what's the cost of living in that country? How much is it, how, how, how much is it going to cost for someone to live there for, for between housing, utilities, uh, food, transportation? All that's rolled in into one budget specifically for the country that you're called to. So when I went to El Salvador as a missionary associate, my budget as a missionary associate was only $2,300 a month. When I became full appointed, my budget increased by about four and a half times that. And so it all depends on what your role is and where you're going to serve in missions. And so, yes, everything in that budget is a salary, 
uh, operating expenses, ministry expenses, um, travel to and from the field. Cash offerings. We have, to, we have a cash budget we must raise. In that cash budget, there are personal items and there are ministry expenses. Personal items like what would be in a cash budget? Well, think about this. You're at home and you're enjoying your home here in the States. You have a dining room table that you love. You have a bed you love to sleep in. You have a couch that you snuggle up in every night with your loved one and uh, your significant other. And you, want to, you can take that with you to the field. You can ship your personal belongings to the field. And so wouldn't it be great to be in your country of service and be able to sit around that same dining room table where you made memories here in the States and you can make, make new memories around that same table in your, in your field of, of service. Now, ministry expenses, that would be uh, airfare to and from the field. Uh, it, it costs a lot to get to the field at times. And so that's excess baggage. And so right now, if you were to fly Southwest, you can get two free bags to Costa Rica. If you fly United, you pay $40 for the first bag, and I think it's 65 for the second bag now. And so, there's, you, and so then every additional bag is another $100. And so if you're taking a lot of things with you, expenses add up. And so, you know, that is a lot of residency. Um, we, often decry, we often talk about immigrants coming to our, this country. Well, we were immigrants to Costa Rica. And so for our residency in Costa Rica, it was about $1,000 per person. You're paying, uh, it's hysterical, you pay, we pay into a deportation fund in Costa Rica. So there's money to deport us if they want to. Uh, which you pay for. Which we pay for. Uh, then you pay for your residency card, and that's $100. You pay for the, the government process of all, your, of all the paperwork, and that is close to $400 a person. And so you have lawyer fees on top of that. So it's about $1,000 per person for residency. And so that's what you, we raise money for is to be able to get into a country legally. In Costa Rica, it takes about a year to get residency. And so you can get to Costa Rica, go to immigration, apply. They give you a piece of paper called a comprobante, that's your, it's proof you apply for residency, and then you can circulate in the country without a problem. Uh, if you leave the country and come back in, you must have an onward ticket. So you fly home for uh, a funeral or a family, or family emergency. When you fly back into Costa Rica, you have to have an onward ticket, which means you have to fly out of the country. Or like for us, we always buy bus tickets to David Panama. So we can just show up at a ticket counter in, here in the States that we have bus tickets to David Panama, and so we, you know, that was before we had residency. After residency, you show your residency card at the airport, and they say, okay, no problem. But until then, you've got to plan for that. And, like, if you want to drive in Costa Rica, uh, you can drive for, for your tourist visa, 90 days, legally. After that 90 days, you must go to Panama or Nicaragua for a day and then come back in to be able to legally drive. So there's all sorts of stuff you have to work on while you're trying to get your residency. All sorts of little expenses that we take for granted here in the States. The budget math. You ever think about math? My kids hate math. I don't know about your kids, but my, my daughter Gianna can't stand doing pre-algebra. And Francesca, you, you don't even talk about geometry and planes. She'd rather be on the plane flying somewhere versus geometry planes. But let's just say the average missionary budget, and this is the average today. All right? uh, if you look at all single missionaries or missionaries that only have are two people versus missionaries that have three or four kids, you put them all together and average them out. The average missionary budget right now is around $8,000. So if you divide that by $60 a month, which is the average missionary pledge or commitment that a church makes to, an, to a, a missionary, they need 134 pledges or monthly commitments in order to get to the field. And right now, when it comes to services here in the United States, 
church cultures change. So Sunday nights and Wednesday nights are a premium when it comes to services. So they, an average missionary would need 134 church services if they're only relying on church services. And that's eight per month. That would equal out to 17 months of itineration. And that is with every church saying yes to supporting them. And not every church can say yes, but every church would like to have a missionary come in and share their heart and inspire people to give more to missions. And our hope and prayer is that as we inspire more people to give to missions, that that church can someday pick up another missionary. And so we oftentimes will go to churches that can't pick us up and support to inspire somebody to give to missions and to respond to the call to go into all the world and preach the gospel. So how do you fill your budget? Well, it's filled with appointments with pastors. Uh, It's filled with uh, coffees. It's filled with going to sectional meetings. We just came back from New Jersey. We left uh, the 16th of February. Just got back in last night into Cleveland. And uh, we drove 2,800 miles in two weeks, had nine services. We did three regional councils and five sectional meetings. And we had 20 meetings all within those two weeks. And we were able to pick up about $200 in monthly support in those two weeks, which is really good. We praise God for that. You know, every time that Nicole and I have a service and we get out to the car and a pastor or somebody's given us an envelope, an honorarium or a love offering, before we ever open that envelope up, Nicole and I look at each other, we'll hold the envelope together, and we'll pray, we say a prayer of thanksgiving for what God has provided. Because he knows our needs and he provides our needs. And so, it's, so for us, uh, 20 meetings in two weeks, all the things we did, leaving at 7 in the morning, saying, waking our kids up on the way out the door, hey, do schoolwork today, please. And getting on the road, coming back at 11 o'clock at night, our kids are like, you're not our parents anymore. We don't know who you are. Uh, but uh, it's just part of what we do. Anybody have any questions on, on this slide? No, you don't. Um, this is this 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 right here is this right here is uh, really a, a fantasy world of 17 months. Uh, we are asked by World Missions to raise our budget in 12 months. All right, you laugh, yeah, but the one, let me just say yeah. this: the one thing they started toward their big budget with an MA budget, right? And then they got the budget raised, and so when they come home, what do you have typically? Fifteen hundred, maybe $2,000. Depending on your budget, yeah. Missionary associates like us who were missionary associates first for two years, I was three years in El Salvador, come back with that missionary budget. And most of our supporters will stay with us, all right? If some don't, that's okay. So we can add that to our budget. So if it's $8,000, we have to only raise 6000 But as you get closer to the end of your year and, you're, and you've made progress in your budget and you're doing your service, you're making your appointments, uh, world missions and the executive body will turn and look at your at your performance and say, okay, you merit an extension. You have three more months. And then after that three months, if you've made n- more significant progress in finishing your budget, they give you another extension. But they don't like to go beyond 18 months. And so there's some that have gone beyond 18 months, but most don't. The average new missionary, candidate missionary, I think is right now around 14 or 15 months. And the average veteran missionary is right around uh, between 13 and 14 months of getting out on the field. If you don't make it, then you don't make it. You're given a three-month severance, basically, and that's it. Unless World Missions has an opportunity for you within Springfield. And sometimes they do. So new candidates, we just mentioned them. New candidates are are people who have never itinerated before. They might have been missionaries, but they never itinerated. 
before they can ever book a service or call a pa- or call to say, hey, I'd love to share a window in your service, they need to raise minimum $750 in monthly support. That's 15 churches or individuals at 50 bucks a month. Why? Because as soon as they are appointed and go and are marked in the, in the computer as itinerating, they start receiving a monthly stipend from World Missions, a living allowance. And so what happens is that a living allowance might be around $2,500 a month. You don't have that income in your account. And so you, they want you to have at least some income there to where that you're not going deeply in the red. But those first five or six months, you're going in the red because your income offerings and pledges are not equating what's coming, what they're giving you. And so the first three or four months of startup can be very difficult for a new candidate missionary. So it's expensive. Itineration is very expensive. It's all travel expense, gas, food, lodging. All right? Phone calls can be part of that. Uh, printed material. Uh, in, our, in, our, in my backpack, I've got copy. I have folders, our packets that we give pastors. And that packet costs us about $5 to print up. Between the news, color newsletters and, and everything else we put in it, it's, it's about a $5, $5 packet. So if you're doing 20 meetings in one month and you're handing out 20 packets, that's $100 just in, in printing cost right there. I think they're coming to take me away. You know, just a second. Let me back up here. How many guys would like to see a video from Randy Hurst about budgets? This video is about, about two years old. But it features, he, he goes into greater detail about budgets, and then Greg Mundus also talks about the need uh, for missionaries and budgets. Let me turn the. You might give them some perspective on who those people are. Okay, Randy Hurst, uh, he's known me way too long. Uh, he, he and my dad were both uh, youth workers in Illinois together, and he is a, was an evangelist. He's also the director of communications for World Missions. And Greg Mundus, who is an Ohio guy out of, out of Youngstown, he was the area director for, for Europe, and now he is the director for World Missions and is based out of Springfield. Turn this up. Let me go back to this slide. Missions agencies have taken two primary approaches to missionary funding, those who operate from a centralized fund and those whose missionaries are individually supported. Consistently, the proven method for keeping missionaries on the field has been a support system we have had for 98 years. In fact, some major missions agencies that have had centralized funds are now using the individual support approach for its missionaries. But this method is facing new challenges. Over the last 10 years, missionaries' monthly budgets have increased from $5,200 to almost $6,900. In contrast, The average missions pledge to missionaries has increased at a much slower rate. This means that missionaries must visit far more churches to raise their support. At the same time, there are fewer services available for itinerating missionaries. With rising costs of living overseas and the weakening dollar, our missionaries face incredible challenges. As we build budgets for our candidate missionaries and also our veteran missionaries, we have come to a growing realization that we need to be extremely strategic in building these budgets. For instance, we have this growing and uh, renewed emphasis on reaching unreached people groups. Well, when you start to examine where these people groups are, they're in some very difficult places, hard to reach places. 
and places where in a traditional manner you cannot go as a missionary. So we have to use our creative skills, we have to use God-given uh, ideas, we have to use advice from uh, the national church, if there is a national church, or we have to use uh, the, 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 the total knowledge of our regional director, our area director, the missionary, the context of where they're going to be so that we can build these budgets. Extremely important in our day and age. Unless more churches regularly increase the amount of their monthly support, many missionaries will find it impossible to raise their budgets. An average missionary budget is $6,875 per month. But the missionaries receive only 35 to 40% of that for their personal budget. This is slightly more than an average secretary's salary in the United States. A missionary's monthly budget is broken down into a personal budget and a work budget. Each of these includes monthly commitments or pledges and a cash disbursement. In their personal budget, funds from monthly commitments are used for housing, medical funding, social security, pension funds, property insurance, and foreign taxes. In their work budget, they must raise monthly commitments to cover a variety of needs, ministry and office expenses, telephone and internet, Bible school, regional ministries, travel, airfare on the field and their return to the U.S., auto expenses, children's schooling, inflation for three years, and administrative costs for aging world missions. Cash in their work budget is used for airfares to the field, visas, language school, freight and duty, work equipment, and work projects and buildings. The World Missions Executive Committee has diligently studied missionary budgets and trimmed them wherever possible. Some missionaries are even choosing to reduce their retirement benefits and other personal allowances. In regard to stewarding funds for missions, I see two elements involved. There's the front end where the church makes a faith promise that that church is made up of individuals. A church is made up of single moms, widows, made up of uh, fathers and mothers that have two jobs so they can support the family that have a passion and a heart to make a faith promise. And their giving is giving with the, uh, with the heart and understanding that that money will make a difference in the lives of people overseas. That sacrifice that is made on the front end is also reciprocated on the receiving. And that sacrifice of our missionary family is in proportion to the sacrifice of our giving family. It's not just one sacrifice, but it's both sacrificing for the good of the lost. Our highest financial priority is supporting those who are divinely called. As you support our missionaries, we hope you consider it a privilege to partner with them. You guys have any questions about that video? Comments? Um, what are your thoughts? Those numbers that, he, that Randy presented were about two years old, so things have changed a little bit when it comes to the economy and uh, just life in general. Right, it can be very overwhelming. So like in a monthly budget, this is a sample breakdown of what it might be like. And so some people are like 6% for school. 
Well, here in the United States, for schooling, it's provided through property taxes. What your landlord pays on the apartment, what a business owner is paying, or what you're paying on your house every year, the property taxes go towards public school. In Latin America, for instance, there are no property taxes that go towards public schools. The government funds an element of it, and the rest of it is charged to the family. So they pay a matriculation fee, they pay for books, and they pay for uniforms. And that's for a public school. And that public school in Costa Rica for us is not an equivalent to an education here in the United States. It's not the same level, not on par. And so like for us, our daughters went to a, 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 langu- a, a school associated with another language school. And it, the tuition for that school ran 5000 a year per child. And that was the equivalent of a really a low-end uh, U.S. education. And so if you wanted your child to go to, let's say, think of the best middle school, high school in your city, all right, the one that, one that has the most stringent academics, public school, okay, if we wanted to send our girls to that school in Costa Rica, it would be around 13000 a year per child to go. All right. That's just to put them on the same level playing field as your kids to go to school. To equip them to come back to the United States, to go to a, a university and get a college education, you, it, it takes a lot of effort when you live overseas, especially in the third world country, to provide for your children, to make sure you're giving them the best. And so Nicole and I, uh, since we've been home, we've been homeschooling our girls through North Florida Online, and we're probably going to do that when we go back to Costa Rica to reduce our educational costs to reduce our budget. So instead of raising thousands of dollars to go to pay someone uh, for a school, we're going to do it ourselves through homeschooling. And that is one way that missionaries lower their budgets in order to get back to the field. How in, long did you guys just leave? When did you go? How long did you stay? Well, we just got back middle of June uh, last year. And uh, we went back, started really hitting itinerary in July. Uh, we got back from four, my four-year term. And so we'll go back to Costa Rica for another four years. Okay. So the budgets we raise per month and the cash budget we raise is for a four-year term. You might comment on the administrative fee. The administrative fee, the 5%, those of you who don't know, uh, the Assumes of God, our, our headquarters is in Springfield, Missouri. And in there is a, is a couple of floors that are made up just for Assumes of God World Missions. Uh, we call it for short AGWM. And there are uh, regional, regional directors, one, and so we have a regional director for Central America, one for Mexico, we have one for the Andean region of South America, and one for the Southern Cone, so, and there's one for the Caribbean. And so those are all area directors, and we have their regional director, who's over all that, Dave Ellis, is based in Springfield. He has an office there, an office staff. So our 5% of our budget goes towards that office staff and help mobilizing Dave Ellis throughout his ministry communicates with us. And so that is part of what we raise as a support staff back home. Yes, ma'am. Uh, do you, do missionaries give tithing? Like yes. See, Nicole and I are both credentialed ministers. And so we tithe to, I tithe to Ohio Ministry Network, and Nicole ties in New Jersey under threat of cement shoes. Um, just kidding. <laughs> But uh, we both tithe to our districts, and we also tithe to a, to our local church. Okay. Any other questions about a monthly budget? How about a, a cash budget? Anybody have any questions about that? 
these figures can be overwhelming for you guys. I remember when I first got my budget as a missionary associate, um, I filled out my 10-page application, and I put listed my 20 people in, for references, and I sent it off, and I prayed about it. See, I had gotten laid off from my job, and I prayed just six months earlier, God, I want to be in missions. I want to obey your call. And I threw a fleece out there. Anybody ever throw a fleece out there? I threw one out, and I said to God, God, if it be your will, I'll be in missions. Fire me. Eliminate my job through no fault of my own. I forgot I said that prayer. It was July 3rd. It was July 3rd. I got called in the office and said, hey, Tim, we're doing bad. We're laying you off. You're one of the first 50. I was boohooing and crying on my way home from Westlake. And instead of coming down 90, I went on Route 2 right by the lakeshore and just boohooing as I was going through downtown. And God quietly spoke to me and said, Tim, what did you ask me for? And I was obedient to that call. And look where God's brought me today through El, through El Salvador, through Costa Rica. I have, a, I have a family I would never have before if I would never answered that call. Um, any other questions about that, about budgets? All right. Let's talk about some itineration experiences. Well, it's phone calls. Um, can you imagine sitting behind a desk? I, I can't stand telemarketers, I'll be honest with you. When they call and, and, um, and they'll call us in Costa Rica because we have a, a Cleveland area code number on, on Magic Jack, and they'll call me in Costa Rica. And it's a security, co- and it's a security company. I want to give you a free alarm. Well, you cannot come out and install it. All you've got to do is put a sign out. Like, sure, come on out. Well, what's your address? Uh, 200 meters north of the Mormon church, uh, 100 meters east, uh, Condominium Barlo Vento, number 133. Well, where's that? It's Costa Rica, buddy. You know? <laughs> and so I invite them to come. But... Part of part of missions life is making phone calls. And so we might make 30 or 40 phone calls a day just to talk to three or four pastors, just to say, hey, you know, my name is Tim Strange. We've talked before, Pastor. Um, can we get together and have a cup of coffee? We're going to just stop by your office and just share my burden for Costa Rica and what God's doing in our lives and what God's doing in Costa Rica. And oftentimes a pastor will make time for us to say, hey, I got time this week, come on out. Or he say, you know, my schedule's full, call me back in another week or two. And oftentimes they say, you know, can, I, can we just make an appointment for two weeks from now versus calling back? And it, because for me, making phone calls is hard. And so I will sit there and I will stalk them on Facebook. And I'll find out, hey, I just saw you post an hour ago. I'll just go ahead and Facebook, hey, when's a, when's a great time to call you? I'd love to connect with you. And it's fun because on Facebook you can see when they read their messages so you know they've read them. And, um, and so it's great to connect because you know people are going to read your messages. And, you know, those pastors I've connected with before, I'll text them. Hey, hey Pastor Ralph, how you doing? Uh, when can we talk again about, about a possible connection? You know, it's, it's a tough thing. Uh, coffee is a big thing right now for us uh, as we travel, uh, but also with pastors around a cup of coffee, sharing our heart. Uh, appointments with pastors, deacons, uh, church missions committees, uh, and then you know meetings in general with that services. Um, we had a service in New Jersey uh, three and a half years ago where we went on. It left the house at six in the morning, got there at eight. Service started at eight thirty. We did we did a Sunday morning service. We did children's church. We did Sunday school. We came back for the second service. Did children's church second service. Did five th- five services basically from eight in the morning till one till one thirty in the afternoon, and uh, that's just life. Uh, it's fun. Follow up is a big, big key. Um, 
oftentimes following up is hard because you have to chase the pastor or they have to chase you. And so if ever they're trying to chase me, I, if, I can't, if, I, if I miss a phone call, I call them right back. And so oftentimes for us, follow-up is hard because the pastors have a busy schedule. Some are bivocational. And so you don't want to call them a home because they've worked all day long, maybe at a factory job on the line. And so you do Facebook them or you do send them an email. Hey, when would be a good time to call? Uh, you have to be sensitive to the pastor's needs as well because oftentimes they're just as busy as we are or more so. Fun experiences. What's some more fun experiences? Oh, um, last summer when we got back in June, we had a few months ahead reserved a mission home that we were going to base out of for this year. And um, they were in the middle of some renovating in the home, and they were like, well, can you just wait a little bit longer and it'll be ready? And so, no problem. We were going to Springfield, Shane, some other places, and itinerary. It turned out that the mission home couldn't be ready until September. So we were homeless from about June 5th till September 5th. And what we did was um, we traveled and we did services, and family and friends were very gracious and opened their homes, and we scheduled services around where we could stay. And then um, as we were looking at the schedule, I booked two weeks of services in New Jersey for August, but I didn't have a place for us to stay. So it's a walk of faith here in the U.S. as much as it's a walk of faith overseas, because I just knew, all right, God, this is the way it is, so just get us a place. Well, one of my friends, long, long time friend, said, hey, we're going away for two weeks in August. I'm so sorry we're going to miss you speaking at our church. But you want to stay in our house? You can have our house for two weeks. And then it turned out the last weekend we were going to be in Jersey, we were speaking on a Sunday. That Saturday night was when my friends were coming back from vacation. They were like, oh, so sorry, but we need you to be out. And God provides a place to stay with um, extended family friends at Tim's known for years. They were like, this is the only weekend we have open in our guest house because they manage a camp. And they're like, come on down and stay with us. And so, like, even booking services and finding a place to stay, it's a walk of faith. And so, so when people open up their homes to us, you know, it's a huge blessing. Crazy things happen. For instance, we booked a service with a pastor back in August for February. And I Facebooked him, I emailed him, we confirmed it back and forth several times throughout the year. We sent a postcard out that says, from Costa Rica. The postcard's actually a, a postcard from Costa Rica we send out, uh, confirming the service. A week before the service, I'm like, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to wear. So I get on, the, I get on his Facebook page, look at the church, go out to the website, and on the website, the day we're going to speak, he's got another missionary listed and his photo. <laughs> and I've called, I've sent emails, and I've confirmed and so I just sent another email. I said, hey, and so I sent another email to him. I said, hey, Pastor, we're so looking forward to being with you next Sunday. We can't wait to share with you. I had acknowledged he had already scheduled somebody else. He sent an email back. Hey, Tim, something's come up. Can we reschedule? I knew it had come up. I didn't care. I just wanted to reschedule. I just wanted to connect with him. So we reconnected. And it worked fine. But sometimes crazy things happen like that. And you just roll with it. You, don't have, you can't let it bog you down. You just go with it. Um, I know our time is short. But BGMC, anybody have any questions about BGMC? Boys and Girls Missionary Challenge. It helps missionaries go through these quick with all sorts of things, from evangelism materials, water wells, uh, sound systems, printing presses, not anymore, copying machines. Printing presses are old passe. Copying machines. Uh, all sorts of great things. Where does it come from? Kids in your church, adults who give special offerings, and youth who make 
Faith Promises. This is a gift from BGMC for our ministry. We use this out in the jungle. It's a video projector, battery-powered, solar rechargeable, and has a sound system. Let me get to that slide. On the left is this system, and it can last for five hours in the dark, showing movies and preaching. So we're out with the Brebring Cabrera Indians, discipling, evangelizing with this video projector from BGMC. Another thing that BGMC has helped us with is uh, this little thing. It's called a Proclaimer. It's an audio Bible. It lasts for eight hours on a single charge. It has a solar panel to recharge it. Just sit it out in the sun. Uh, 200 people can hear this. This is in the language of the Brebri. You see, with the indigenous, over 85% are illiterate. How do you disciple them if they can't read? You do it through hearing. And their culture based. Their culture is orality-based. They tell all their family histories, all their tribal history through stories. So this thing... Could you ever imagine never hearing the Word of God in your own heart language? Never hearing it? They can hear it. They might never be able to read it, but they can hear it. And so we're going to go out, we're using this in discipleship with the indigenous. And so, Speed of Light, how many of you guys are familiar with Speed of Light? All right, one, two, I see those hands. Um, so, in its over 50-year history, over $253 million have been raised for missions endeavors around the world. One of the first things that Speed of Light had was an old World War II bomber that carried missionaries throughout the world, dropping them off, flying from the United States to Europe into Africa, dropping them to spread the gospel. So that was one of the first things Speed Light ever bought. This was our Speed Light car. It's a Hyundai Santa Fe. It's all-wheel drive, so it gets us out into the jungle to the river's edge. And Ohio and New Jersey helped us with this car. And so um, it's a fun car to drive. We're thankful for it. And Speed Light is such an integral part of what we do. You see, your support helps us get there. Speed of Light and youth help us do what we do. They help, help mobilize us through cars like this, through boats, through, through donkeys and mules, through horses, uh, through sound systems. Speed of Light really helps us do that. It's, BGMC trains and instills young kids. If they can give, they can pray, and someday they can go. And Speed of Light puts actions behind those kids and shows them what they can do. They come down on AIM trips and mission trips, and they see a missionary using a car that they help buy to spread the gospel, using a sound system or a cordless mic that might have the church's name on it, a gift from you know, Calvary Temple. Oh, you know, my church paid for this? You know? And so kids get a chance to see what happens on the mission field. You know, back in the fall, we did a Light for the Lost tour. How many guys remember going to Light for the Lost dinners or luncheons? Well, for us, Light for the Lost is integral. In our ministry, they gave us over $4,000 in funds for printing. And so oftentimes what we do is this, is that we'll print a book up, and it might be like, it might be Global University Christian Life, and it might be Intro to Christianity, Who is Jesus? And that book costs us $5 to print. We'll go into the village and we'll say, hey, next month we're going to start on this discipleship series. The, the printing cost for the book is $5. Please bring your offering. Now, we'll tell them it's actually 2 mil in Costa Rica. Uh, we'll tell them to please bring an offering towards that. And, their goal, and our goal is for them to be able to buy that book 
at the, at the cost of the printing. So they value it. I can give them the book, and they're not going to value it. But if they pay for that book, they're going to value that book. And then in turn, I just got 2500 2, colones, $5. I can go now and print another book. So we multiply light for the lost dollars. A $1,000 gift will multiply three or four times when it comes to teaching and discipleship. And then if we're doing crusades, we're doing outreaches, we'll actually print tracts with that money up to give out, or books about your new life in Christ that we can actually give away. But we, but we try to multiply missions dollars. So here's a, here's a couple shots. I'm with, that's a Sunday school book in my hand. That was, it actually has, four, it has 200 Sunday school lessons in it, all one-page lessons, scripture verse, application, an activity, memory verse. And then it also has a, a black-and-white drawing of that lesson. And so what happens is this, is that book I can print for $8, and I do ask $8 for it. And we've printed over 400 of them, and there's over 400 out in use right now. 60 of them are out with the indigenous. And, we, and out in the, with the indigenous, it's used from kindergarten age all the way up to adult age. They modify the lesson. Uh, it makes it something easy that they can handle. And this is from Light for the Lost. And here's a couple shots of teaching with the Christian Life series material that we use. And so all those books are used. In fact, our pastors will go through Christian Life series, and that's an 18-course discipleship program. And they go through Christian Service, another 18-course, uh, all about leadership and, and Christian principles. So Life of Law, Speed of Light, and BGMC all help us in ministry. They, they're, they're actually an extension of us on the field. We couldn't do a lot of things we do without those programs. You guys have any other questions before we have to close? Oh, I thought I, I thought I was. So we have plenty of time. Yeah. <laughs> I can backtrack when you do anything you guys want. Any questions you guys have? Thank you. You know, we do, and oftentimes we'll do. We'll sit down and, and we'll look at what's available. Light for Lost only covers uh, a certain realm of material. And there's a website we go on, and we, we can go in and say, okay, I want to ask for $500 for, you know, Edward the Elephant AIDS awareness. And it's, it's a biblical-based kids program in flyers that we can pass out in public schools about AIDS awareness from a biblical perspective. And so all sorts of different topics you can choose from, but we're limited where the light for lost dollars can't be spent. And I can't ask for light for lost dollars funds until I'm back on the field. I just got an email last week from my area director. Hey, here's the link. Go out and apply for light for lost funds. And you go out the link and it says, if you're currently itinerating, you're not eligible. I'm like, shucks. <laughs> you have a question? Do you have a question? Oh. Right. You guys interface obviously with missionaries from other agencies, whether they're church based or nonprofit. Uh, how would the funding model for Sons of God missionaries differ from maybe what, what you hear them talking about? Do they have parallel programs like this? that help their missionaries with resource dollars. Okay, years ago, when I say years ago, I mean years ago, the Assumes of God had, we, were, we have an Ohio district, okay? Mexico was part of the United States Assumes of God. There were districts within Mexico that were part of our fellowship. There were districts within, within Canada that were part of our fellowship. And since then, there's a separate Mexican Assumes of God fellowship, and there's a Canadian Pentecostal Assumes of Canada fellowship, all right? We have friends of ours that are Canadian missionaries from the Pentecostal Sims of Canada. There is no Speed of Light program for them. So they, how do they, how do they, they have to raise the thirty to $40,000 as part of their itineration. 
And so they have got so a lot a lot of times like our friends who just got who just got to Costa Rica went and they purchased a uh, 17-year-old vehicle because that's all the money they could afford to raise. And so they have a 17-year-old uh, Toyota 4Runner right now. They and he's ha- he's thrilled with it. He's he's thankful he could purchase it. But without youth like we have in our in, in the United States, we would not be able to be able to get tr- reliable transportation. And that's one thing. And then so like for instance, our funding model, kind of overwhelming, going church to church, raising support, asking for help. It's kind of overwhelming when you think about it. When we first started out, it was overwhelming to us. Uh, it still is a little overwhelming at times. Uh, but I don't know if you guys are aware of it or have seen it. Go out and look at ChristianityToday.com. Go out to Charisma News and search. But the International Missions Board of the Southern Baptist, back in August, announced they are going to cut missionaries, bring missionaries home, retire them from the field because they were $21 million in debt last year in missions giving. They had a deficit. And if, it, if current giving trends kept going that way, they were going to lose over $50 million in the next two years. And so they announced in August a voluntary recall of any missionary who would voluntarily come home, and over 1,000 missionaries have come home now from the Southern Baptist. That's because of lack of funding. Their, their missions funding in the Southern Baptist is this. A missionary rarely comes to a Southern Baptist church really presents the mission's call, really presents the Great Commission, the drive that we've got to get out there and make disciples, that time is short. A, church, a Southern Baptist church, they give into, you have a church of 500 people. Well, there's a scale that they, they look at. Okay, your church is 500 people. You're expected to give $20,000 a year to world missions. And so every church, depending on their size, gives into a centralized fund. And then they support all the missionaries out of that fund. And because missions giving is down on, on, all throughout their fellowship, they're $21 million in debt, projected to lose $50 million over the next two years, and so they're retiring and bringing home missionaries. And so they had over 5,000 over 5, missionaries out, all right? and their fellowship is twice the size as, as our fellowship. We have over, over, we're closer now to 2,500 missionaries going out. We come to full-time missionaries, missionary associates, all right? When they bring those people home and, and the other people that retire here in the states in their program, they're only going to have maybe six or seven hundred missionaries more than we will. All right, and so centralized funding, centralized funding, versus versus how we do it is going church to church, spreading the vision for missions, saying time is short. You see, Jesus said, "I'm the way, the truth, and the life." Well, if we believe that, we got to do something about it. When he says, when he says that. This gospel shall be preached to all nations, then the end will come. And, we're, and we believe in the imminent return of Christ, all right? that he can come any time. And we also know that there are, in Latin America alone, over 600 unreached people groups. 405 of those are indigenous. Okay, That's 500 million people in Latin America who have yet to hear about Jesus. All right? There are over 20 million indigenous of that 500 million who have not heard of Jesus yet. And so if time is short and Jesus is coming back soon, I often will pray in my devotional life, God, give me one more day. Please don't come back today. Don't, please come back tomorrow. Give me one more day to tell somebody about you. And so uh, in our funding, when we get missionaries out, the local church has a partnership with that missionary. They know what that missionary is doing. They get a newsletter, an update, what's going on with that missionary. It's a personal relationship. And so in the Baptist method, where there is no personal relationship with that missionary, What's the urgency to give? Right. Why should anybody or, care? Pray. <laughs> or pray. 
See, James, we, we always, we always in, in, when I grew up in my dad's church, my dad pastored for 45 years, every Sunday he would, he would get up and he would grab the anointing oil and he would stand down front and he would quote James, call the elders of the church anointing oil. That same verse says, the fervent prayer of the righteous availeth much. All right? Prayer support for missions availeth much. We couldn't do what we do. If, if all you did was give us support financially, it wouldn't matter. But it's your prayer support that really matters. Yes, we need your financial support, but the prayer side of things is equally as important as the financial side. I'm also thinking of another missionary couple we met just a few months before we left Costa Rica. Um, they don't have a car. And so whenever the husband works in other parts of the country outside of the city, he has to take a bus. And what could take us maybe five or six hours to drive, he could be on a bus for 12 hours or maybe a day and a half journey. And so by having these programs that raise funds and help us with purchasing a vehicle and the equipment that we need, it also helps utilize our time more wisely and helps us get around the country. Just the other day... uh, She's talking about getting around the country, mobilizing yourself. Just the other day, uh, I'm sitting in a meeting in New Jersey, and I get fidgety, and I admit I can be ADD. And I pull out my iPhone, and I, I have a news ticker on my phone just for Costa Rica, news for Costa Rica. I'm always reading what's happening in Costa Rica because that's my home, all right? And so I'm there, and I see this, this uh, headline, Indigenous Girl Dies, No One Knows. And so the community called Alto Tidare. And to drive from our house to Bribri, the city of Bribri, is about four hours. And they didn't even know this baby had died, was born or died until someone from the government went to visit the village. All right? No one had been there to tell the family about Jesus. No one had been there to even comfort the family. And the only reason they knew this was two girls, ages eight and nine, had hiked out of the village down to Bribri. It took them five days to get there. All right? the, government had, the government had to fly helicopters in. That's how remote this village is. And brought in rice and beans and, and vitamins because the people in that village are starving. Their crops have failed. Uh, they, ha- they won't eat the pigs because the pigs are too skinny. They won't, they won't eat the chickens because the chickens are sick. And they're just starving. How do you get in there? How do you get five, how do you, you know, hiking five, out, five days in there with food on my back to eat for the five days plus food while I'm there and food while I hike out just to get there to tell them about Jesus? And so I was, Nicole asked, what's wrong? I'm tearing up. I'm getting, I'm getting really frustrated with myself. How, how, how soon can we get back? How soon can I get out there? And so I'm hoping that there's actually a logging tro- road out that way. I'm hoping there's a banana trail that I can actually throw the car into a four-wheel low and drive it forever to get as far as I can go before I have to hike. But our goal is to get back so, I can, so we can get to that village and let them know there's hope in Jesus. There's hope beyond the starvation they're experiencing. But that little baby Maria, no one knew she had been bo- she had born or died in those few precious days she lived. There was no registry. The government had no clue. But Jesus knew. Jesus knew. And so that's why we're, in, we're doing what we do. That's why we're out in the field. That's why missionaries go, is to tell people to be your hands extended, to fulfill the Great Commission with you. We couldn't do it otherwise. It's a partnership. And so if you haven't thought of it that way before, it is. It's a partnership. And that's what, we're, that's what we're called to do is go and make disciples. Your hand's extended. Any other questions or comments? Do you have any prayer requests? Prayer requests? Health and safety is with travel and divine connections. Tracy? 
question. What, what are practical ways that a church, uh, pastor, mission board, missions committee, you know, can help? I've prayed, I know, but besides that, um, to make it easier for you, you know, does the service, you know, having you come in for a service as helpful as let's just meet for coffee? It depends. It, it depends on the church. Can I just tell you, if if a church has only got four four Sunday morning services, and maybe four Wednesday night services, that pastor is going to be very protective of his pulpit time. All right. And so oftentimes, if we get a window with, with your pastor, we'd love that. In fact, I've talked to your pastor a couple of times, and and uh, we had something lined up, but I actually got a better offer, so I had to cancel. And she was very gracious about that. She is. She loves. She knows. She and so. Uh, coffee times are, are equally as valuable as Sunday morning times. A, a, a meeting with a missions committee is equally as important as a Sunday morning. So that to you is just as helpful. It's just as helpful. And, you know, if we can meet with a, with a missions committee and just share our heart with, with five, six, seven, eight, ten people, letting them know that has just as much influence as meeting, as preaching to, to 100, 200, 300 people. Because the message gets out. Because that missions committee person is going to go and say, hey, let me tell you a missionary I met with you the other night. I can't believe what, he's, what they're doing, you know. Or have you heard about the, the missionary that's over in Brussels, Belgium, reaching the Muslims that are coming in as refugees? You know, it, it, it strikes a passion, and that passion can be infectious with the whole church. One, one challenge for missionaries is that every church does missions differently. So in a church like yours where missions vision is very prominent, very strongly led, where there are funds available to respond where there is uh, it does, it's not really critical for a missionary for service to give a pledge that meeting is fine. In many churches if a missionary doesn't have a service, there's no way he's going to get a pledge. Right. The other thing is on that cash budget the only way to get that cash budget raised typically is through offerings from churches that are generally coming in right. services so that's a, that's a factor too. Another thing, I just saw this survey at our recent meeting for uh, missions directors, uh, they did a survey. They've been doing surveys. Uh, they do them all the time, but the most recent one they did uh, and, uh, of missionaries and how they were called, the highest percentage was people who had been called as a result of missionary service in their church. So the long-term success of our mission endeavor does rely, somewhat reliant on, on missionaries sharing their story, their call, and uh, people in the, in the local church being stirred by the Holy Spirit about that. So the services are important, but... I can know that from our perspective, which I know is very unique in our church. Right. Yeah. Every, we're going to get, you know, like, that's just kind of how we operate, but that's why I'm just asking for us to help And then that. there's some churches where, where the pa- after missionary shares, the pastor says, if you would like to support the missionary... Uh, let us know, and we'll, we'll pass that on to them. So it's really more individuals it is. church pledging rather than a church pledge. So obviously, if, if they don't get an opportunity to service in those churches, there's no chance. Right. On your on every desk, you guys have got some, some handouts. One is a fact, frequent asked questions about missions. Another one is 13 things a pastor would like to say to a missionary but can't. But on the flip side of that tortilla. It's 13 things a missionary would love to say to a pastor but can't. All right. Uh, very, very valuable information and perspectives from missionaries. Also, this is 2015 report, but it's called Empowered. And it gives you a report and details about all the regions that we're in and every country we're in. And so take this stuff, 
look at it. Pass it on to somebody else who you think would benefit within your church as well. It's been great to be with you guys. I hope it, you, I hope it was informative. I hope you guys got something out of it besides seeing a strange guy talk. But uh, it's been great being with you guys. Any other questions before you guys hit hell for lunch? Thank you. We do have prayer cards if you want one. Of course they do. You know, we are. And every day we're a step closer. And we know our time here is short. We want to be out here by the end of August. Uh, but we also know our window is, is short. But we also know that where God guides, He provides. All right? And we're resting in that We're resting in that provision, working towards it. And if we're here a little longer, we're here a little longer, we're getting back. You know? That's a whole other story. But let me tell you what happened is this. Is I, I, I was serving in El Salvador as a missionary associate for three years. And every year for, a week a year, for two weeks a year, as a missionary associate, I was considered a staff pastor. I went out to our prayer fortress out at our camp, and I prayed for a week. And I had a team, and we had devotions every day, three or four times. And we prayed for hours on end. My prayer time was at 2 in the morning for two hours, from 2 to 4. I had a hard time staying awake. But I prayed during that time because my time was short and El Salvador was coming to an end. I said, God, what do you have for me? And those times in the prayer fortress, God was giving me visions of kids and people out in the jungle. I had no idea where it was at. All right? A week later, I'm in my truck, and I got photos of my truck. It's, and I was driving down the highway near Nueva Esperanza. And I'm driving, and I'm not paying attention to how fast I'm going or the road conditions or who's on the road. I'm going about 90 miles an hour. And I'm trying to get back. It's 10 o'clock at night. It's late because at, in El Salvador, later it gets, the more dangerous it gets. And you don't stop at a stoplight or a stop sign. They're all optional after 10 o'clock at night. And so I'm driving. I'm flying home. It's an hour drive, all right? And I'm about halfway home. And I have, I have another missionary behind me following me. And I'm not paying attention. Traffic's slow in the left-hand lane. I get in the right. Do you remember seeing Back to the Future? Do you remember Biff in the manure truck? That was me. I hit it about 85 miles an hour. That truck flew off the road. My truck got rear-ended by my friend and got flipped upside down. I went 60 feet into a ditch. The fire extinguisher inside my truck started going off. All right? My friend gets out of his car, and he's yelling, Tim, Tim, Tim. He's thinking I'm dead. All right? And I yell back, what? <laughs> I was in the back seat of my truck. I wasn't wearing my seatbelt. I got thrown in the back seat. And as I exit my truck, the fire extinguisher is going off. It's all this white smoke. I'm covered head to toe in white powder. Everybody thinks I'm a ghost. All the Salvadorans are crying, ghost, ghost. And I'm laughing because I know I'm not dead. And uh, the police show up, and they're asking me, ¿Dónde está el motorista? Where's the driver? I said, this is the driver. I said, where's the body? The driver's dead. I said, this is the body of the driver right here. And so short, long story short, or short story long, I was in the hospital overnight. And at 3 in the morning, my missionary mentor, Don Tribbett, calls me. And he says, hey, uh, I'm not in country, you know that, but that's not important. I got, he goes, I got so much to talk to you about, but that's not important. I got two words for you, I'm going to hang up. Costa Rica, and he hung up on me. He wasn't concerned about my accident or me. He just had two words for me, Costa Rica. That's Don, all right? That's very much Don. And at three, about 3, 3 in the morning in a hospital room in San Salvador, God and I had a holy moment because all those visions he was giving me in the prayer fortress were kids and people out in the jungle of Costa Rica. And so that's how I got moved from El Salvador to, to Costa Rica. And God will, get, God will make sure 
you know his will if you listen to him. That's how I got there. Mm-hmm. So if you guys want additional prayer cards, we have some. And thank you guys so much. God bless you guys.